Today is August 14th, 2016. The title of today's message is Nothing Left. So I want to recap a, a few of the last titles of the services that we've had collectively together here in this building. A few weeks ago, we heard Restoration and Redaction. Restoration and Redaction. That our story, uh, that God has the right to rewrite our story any way he chooses. He can edit out the mistakes that we thought would define us. As we give our lives completely to him, he can tell the story that he wants to tell when our story is done. Pastor Hutchinson gave a great message on all means all. I've thought about that phrase probably 500 times since then. Pastor Mays, who's here with us again today, had an incredible word last Sunday on abandoned ship. If you're like me, I've been thinking about that all week. I've been, I've been contemplating that. I've been letting it sink down into my heart. Pastor Eric, on Wednesday, had a message about I want to win. About discipleship and absolute dependency on the Lord. If you'll turn to Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. I'm going to address some of our friends in the One Association, some of our family in the Baton Rouge area. Uh, if, you've, if you've been like us, uh, we have a lot of family, so we've been getting a lot of videos. We've been seeing a lot of things on Facebook of the flooding that's going on there. Uh, what used to be homes and neighborhoods now are lakes with tops of buildings sticking out. And we have a lot of folks that are from Louisiana or have Louisiana ties here. So I want us to take a look at Psalm 27. This will act as an introduction to our message today. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I was studying the word last night with my wife. We were sitting down in the living room. And Psalm 27.1 was something that was pertinent on her heart. It was something that was impacting her in a great way. Uh, as she's watching her parents' home fill with water a few feet deep, at least the last that they were able to get into their home before they left. So who knows what it is now? And we were consoled. she was being consoled by the Word of God, Amen. which is the way that this is supposed to be. Yes. No matter how much we want to worry, no matter how much we want to put things in front of our eyes and, and try to fix it, uh, I can encourage you, all of our friends there in Baton Rouge who are going to hear this message, Pastor Justin and, and all of the friends there, uh, we are going to make a commitment to you. We'll come and do anything that we need to do to help you. Yes. But let me encourage you, buddy. Right now, there's nothing we can do. If we were in Baton Rouge right now, unless we had some type of amphibious vehicle, there's absolutely nothing we can do. We have Pastor Justin Johnson on the ground there. He is a mile away from people and can do nothing to help them. It's almost like in every turn that God is going to require of us, demand of us, expect from us that we will trust him regardless of what we see. If you'll take a look at that word, whom shall I fear? Again, my wife was teaching me some things last night. We, she was starting to pull out paleo-Hebrew. Come on, on the word fear. Um, Susan, if you'll pull up that slide. So the word for fear there is yare, Y-A-R-E. It's number 3372. The word means to fear, to revere, or to cause to frighten. So what we did was we took the letters there. <laughs> so what it did was it took the Hebrew, and on the slide, when we saved it to this file, it made A-R-Y be uh, what we had as the Hebrew letters. So that's, if you're looking at this, the big A-R-Y on the left there is, it's supposed to be in Hebrew, but I guess it just read the font kind of funky. Um, so what it is, is are the three letters, it's Yod, Resh, and Alf. So the word fear Yare, Yod, Resh, and Alf. And you can see what the Yod is, work, to throw, or to worship. The Resh is first, top, or beginning. And Alf is the strong, powerful leader. So one, one, one way that you can look at this is to work. We're going to worship. We're going to exalt the first leader. Fear is to exalt the first leader. It's kind of weird, right? Fear, you're, we all know what fear is. 
But how about we understand what the word is saying about fear? This is also the word that's used to revere the Lord, to fear the Lord. You know what we do when we fear the Lord? We put him, we exalt him as the first leader in our hearts. We exalt him as the first leader in our thoughts. We exalt him as the first leader in our minds. You know what fear, the negative version of this does? It puts something else as the first leader in our life. Fear is when you look at the circumstances and go, what are we going to do? Our family members are watching as the water is coming up to their house and then coming in the house. What are we going to do? I can assure you, our friends there, just as we are here, we have to continue to fear the Lord and fear Him only. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord only. The Lord only. That is the only thing that we are allowed to fear. We are only allowed to put Him on the throne of our heart. When you are afraid, you are literally in idolatry. You are literally putting something else or someone else on the throne of your heart. And you might look at it and go, but it makes sense. I mean, I'm only being logical. Are they not losing their property? Are they not going through difficulties? Are we not going through difficulties here? It is not logical to be fearful. It feels logical because it is appeasing our fleshly nature because it puts us on the throne. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to free us from fear. The only way to be free from fear, whether it's your job, whether it's moving to Indonesia, whether it's trying to fulfill God's plan, whether it's you waiting on something that you've been waiting on and praying for and laboring for, and you're like, I just don't think this is going to happen. Do not give way to fear. Do not put that thing and all of the things that could come from it hypothetically, we're not even sure what's going to happen. We just let our mind go on and on. When we moved to Texas about six years ago, um, my son Gabriel, whom I love, who I think is doing, I'm just so proud of him. When we moved to Texas, though, the hardest conversation I have ever had with any human being ever was when I was talking to my nine-year-old at the time and to tell him that God was moving us from Baton Rouge to the Austin, Texas area. He wept bitterly. It, you would, I, I have never, I've never seen it in my son since, before, and I've never seen it since. He wept bitterly because he could not envision his life somewhere else than where he was. But dad, what about my friends? But dad, I don't think this is really the Lord. <laughs> Amen, buddy. It's okay. Dad gets to decide if it's the Lord or not. But, but Dad, could you pray again? Maybe it's not the Lord. He, he wept bitterly. It's a little bit funny now, but it still, it still burdens my heart because I sat there and I had to deal with my son's broken heart. I was flabbergasted. I, I, I was caught off guard. I figured it would bother him, but I didn't know that it would crush him. And I went, huh. We got ready to move a few months later. He actually came and stayed with the Stevens. Came and stayed with his friend Gabriel. And I made a mistake as a dad. Instead of having him with us, I thought it would ease the transition for him to stay here. And then, and then we kind of moved in and he came a few days later. On, on the ride, I don't know if, I'm sure Eric remembers this. I think they had to stop a few times so that he could um, uh, take care of his nervousness. Because what I did was I didn't actually help him to conquer his fear. I just tried to cover over his fear. I tried to satiate his fear by having a pathway that I thought would make it easier on him. And you know what? I, I failed him as a father. The best thing for him in that moment would have been for me to take him and say, you're coming with me and we're doing this now. We're going to dispel all the fears of what could be and we're just going to walk forward and do what God has called us to do because he is the Lord. Amen. You live and learn. I can't take that back. I can't undo what I did as a father. What about you? Do you have fears that you're just trying to cover over? Can I encourage you that it's not the worst thing in the world? Uh, we have family members that are probably in the process of losing everything that they own. Vehicles, houses, all of it. And while my heart breaks for them, there are worse things than losing every physical thing that we own. Because you know what happens when the water goes down? You know what's going to happen? If they're living in fear... Just because the water goes down doesn't mean the fear goes away. 
When we live in fear, we think that it's, going to ch- it's the circumstances that need to change to alleviate our fear. The only thing that causes fear to be alleviated is the perfect love of Christ. Is setting Him as the first leader. He is on the throne and everything He does is right. He is perfect and just in all His ways. I will not balk. I will not retreat. I will not shrink back at what He is doing in my life. Though it may be difficult, I will not allow fear to inhabit what I'm doing. It's amazing that we can be here today and we're recording this message and our friends in Louisiana are going to hear it when they hear it. And my expectation is is that today, not only will we be blessed here in this room and we be changed, but our friends there will be as well. Because the Lord is calling us to have nothing left. Let's turn to first, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 4. And verse 1. Verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets. Everybody say, company of the prophets. Company of the prophets. Cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. By the way, you know what the word revered right there is? It's Yahweh. It's the exact same word that we saw there in Psalm 27. He revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slave. Well, that doesn't sound very fair. He was a man in the company of the prophets. He himself, personally, lest you think it was some group dynamic going on, he personally feared the Lord above all else. And you know what happened? The creditors were coming to take his two boys as slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all. (laughs) She said, Oh, except a little oil. How many times in our life have we gotten to the Lord and we're, if someone inquires of us like, hey, what do you have? Man, I got nothing. I got nothing left. I, I, I have no reserves. Well, except this little bit over here. I mean, I've given it all to the Lord. Well, I mean, I mean, there is this little bit over here, but I've given it all. Wow. And somehow we're okay with that dichotomy that lack of truth, that unawareness that we saying one thing, that we give it all to the Lord, and yet we have something in reserve. This is a little pertinent to me right now. No, it's a good word. This, this is a little bit really where I am in my life. We're getting rid of everything we can and we're going to move in with some of our best friends in the world, the Stevens. I say some because the Piros are here and I didn't want to leave them out. Not like they're kind of friends. Right? Well, I mean, they're all right, you know. You know what the Lord can, keeps causing us to do? Uh, is this true or not? Have you gotten to a point you're like, I've given it all to the Lord. Given it all away. Man, I've given it all away. Sorry, there's a whole track playing in my head. I had to get some of it out or it'd keep playing. Have you, have you gotten to a point in your life and you're like, I've given it all away. Man, praise God. God's happy with me. And then a few moments later, a few weeks later, a few days later, he, he's asking something else. I, I, I usually, I've done this before here, but I would do it when I would teach uh, high school kids. I do a leadership sessions with them at, at, at Louisiana State University. I teach some of their summer camps for a long time. And I have all the kids in the room. I give them instructions. All right, don't do anything yet. But when I, stand up, when I say stand up, you're going to stand up and raise your hands as high as you can. Just everybody, as high as you can. No higher at to the ultimate amount that you... And they're like, oh, come on, man. High schoolers, we're cool. We can get this. And I have them stand up, and they put their hands up, and in the middle, as it, about two seconds later, I would yell, higher! Whoop! And they would go higher. And I make them sit down, and they're like, yeah, we did it. Wait, wait, no. You failed that instruction. The very first time I asked you to give all that you had, and you said that you were clear, I made you repeat it back to me. You thought I was being redundant. We were all clear on it. And when I said higher, how many of you went higher? 
about 99% of them, every, no matter how many kids I had, they would go just a little bit higher. Because you know why? It is in our nature as human beings not to give our all to anything. Especially to the Lord whom we can't see. It is, it, this is our nature. Your servant has nothing here at all. I've already given it all. Now that I think about it, there's just a little bit left. Except a little oil. Verse 3, Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. God is a God who fills our emptiness. God is a God who works with us as we are fully dependent upon Him. We want God to really work in our lives, but we want to keep a lot of things for ourselves. You know what we're having to do in the Sutherland household? We're having to get rid of a bunch of stuff. Because our stuff and the Stevens stuff isn't going to fit. And it's not the Stevens problem. <laughs> we're getting rid of ours. <laughs> God, fill me. God, fill me. God, use me. How about you empty yourself enough where it's more of him than it is of you? She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jaws to her and she kept pouring. Our God fills emptiness. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Let me put it to you in this way because of this verse. When you're completely full of God or yourself, there's no room for the oil to flow in your life. When you stay full of yourself, when you stay full of your own plans, there's no room for God to pour in his anointing. You have to continually bring to him emptiness or the oil stops. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Let's turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 19. This should be a very familiar verse, because Pastor Eric used it on Wednesday night, and I am intentionally using it again. Because he is that good. John five nineteen. Are y'all with me here? Yes. All right. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. Well, thank you, Jesus, for telling us the truth. In the old King James, this would have said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. The word in the Greek there would be, Amen and amen. I tell you this. Behold, I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. If you're like me, that, this verse has been rolling around in your heart since Wednesday. I don't want to leave the, the uncomfortableness that it brings to me as I think about this verse. Because I used to be a band director, I, I learned long ago that kids always like to practice what they're already good at. yeah, what about this part over here? Ooh. Right? We like to practice what we're already good at. We like to think on the things that we feel like we're already successful in. Mature believers, true disciples, think on the things that bother you. The things that leave you uneasy because you know that it's truth. If Jesus was our model and He can do nothing by Himself. You know what the word there in the Greek means? Nothing. It literally means not one thing. <laughs> wow, great revelation, right? It means exactly what it says. There's nothing. Not the kind of nothing that the widow had, which said, I have nothing, but I've really got a little bit. The kind that Jesus says here is absolute, abject, nothing I can do by myself. Only what I see the Father doing. Look in verse 30, same chapter. These are red letters, right, angel? Red letters. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but Him who sent me. 
This should wreck us. This should absolutely annihilate our 10-year plans. This should annihilate what we're hoping to accomplish. This should say, Lord, I can't step forward unless you tell me to. Lord, I want to have absolute dependency on you. Turn to John 15, just over a few pages. In verse 5, John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Why is it that we think that we can bear the fruit without really, really remaining in him? He in us and us in him. He will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, not hyperbole, folks. This is not a a stretching of this word. This word means not a thing. Let me put it to you in words that we can understand. Without Him, without us being connected to Him, we can't do anything that matters. We can do things, can't we? We, we think we can do things and we're, we're, toiling, we're toiling and working and trying to do and trying to accomplish and trying to satisfy our own fears and our own needs. And the truth is, is we feel like we're doing something, but because of the Word of God here, all we're doing is nothing. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. Let's start in verse 10. Another widow. The widow of Zarephath. Verse 10 says, So Elijah went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may drink? (laughs) As she was going to get it, he called. This is the way it works in my house, by the way. Hey, would you mind getting this for me? Sure. Hey, while you're up, I need the following 17 things. Oh, okay. Since I'm up, right? As, he was going to get, as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. <laughs> conviction, conviction happening right on the front. Verse 12, As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I'll give you the Sutherland uh, International Translation here. I ain't got nothing. <laughs> Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. So did she have bread or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She didn't have bread, but she had something to be able to make bread. So she's saying, I don't have anything. And what did she have? She had the necessary things to make the bread that he was asking for. Folks, I do this all the time. I'm convicted when I read these scriptures because I go, hey, I don't really have, I don't think I have what it takes. Knowing that in my mind, I know that I have a reserve somewhere. What does your reserve look like? Well, what I mean by having nothing is that my reserve is low. Or that I just don't want to tell you that I have something in my back pocket. This is not the way that the Lord wants us to live. Because what it does is truthfully, most of the time, it's because we are afraid. We are afraid that if we really give it all to the Lord, what's going to happen to us? If I, I mean, I, I've sold a house and moved here to Houston area, but, 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 but I've got something in reserve. See, when I sold the house, I got a profit on the house. So when I moved here, I had something. You know what the Lord is requiring of us? That we give our all to Him. Every time. Without fail. Let's keep reading. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. I love the word. Real people, right? Amen. In case the prophet couldn't figure that out. Like, I'm going to go home and eat this and die. A little melodramatic. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. (laughs) Go home and do as you have said. (laughs) I'm going to jump, man. 
great, go right ahead. <laughs> whoa, wait, wait, I, whoa, whoa. But before you do that, but first, make a small cake of bread for me. What kind of boldness and craziness is this? Lord, I'm already down to my last stuff, and you want me to make this and give it to you? Shouldn't I use this? Because this is it. I'm going to do this for you, and then I'm going to die. Then he's saying, yeah, 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 give it to me first. What is God asking you? You think you're down to the end of something, and you think you've given it all, and he's saying, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, you're going to go off and die. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And before you do that, give me something first. Huh. Look up at verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. If you take that verse out, it makes Elijah seem a little crazy, a little arrogant, a little one-sided here. But he had a word from the Lord that said that this woman was supposed to provide for him. Let's go back to 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. I can promise you that every time you give, you actually give your last When we, when we hold things in reserve, we're actually operating in fear because you know what we're really saying? Hey, God, if I give this, you can't help me. So I've got to just go ahead and help myself here. If I really do this all the way, the God of all creation is somehow going to fail me and not give me what I need, whether it's food or provision or direction or whatever. So somehow I've got to keep just enough back in case he doesn't come through that I can come through and save the day. What a wretched thought. That is abject sin in all of our lives when we do it. Just because it's, we're familiar with it does not mean that it absolutely displeases the Lord. He can take more with one little can of flour and one jar of oil and make it last as long as we need it to. Pastor Mays had, had the, the sermon last week. He was talking about the fish jumped out of the boat. You remember this? What was waiting for Peter on the shore? Fish and bread. He had what he needed. He thought he was leaving it all, but he was going towards exactly what God had. It was more ready for him to eat than the fish that were on the boat. It's nice that we read the stories, folks. It's nice that we can recall these things, but what, how are you living? Are you living according to these words? Or are you just letting it go off your back and go, man, that's good. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to turn around and forget exactly what I look like and go keep doing exactly what I've been doing. God is calling us today to have nothing left. Amen. Turn to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis 47. Starting in verse 13. There was no food, however, in the whole region because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. Verse 15, when the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone. You know one of the first things that God always uh, has to see where our heart is on is our finances. He's going to check you on your finances. Uh, I, I've shared this before, but it seems pertinent here. When I was a school teacher and then I became a principal, and when I didn't have money in the account, lived, we, tried to do, we were trying to be faithful, but we were worried about how much money was in the account. When we moved from Austin, and I basically had a year's worth of salary in my account, you know what I was worried about? How much money was going out. I realized that my heart was to be fearful whether I had money in the account or whether I didn't have money in the account. I went, huh, look at that. 
I'm still worried and I have money in the account. When I didn't have money in the account, I was worried. Oh, this must not have anything to do with money in the account. Lord, this is my heart that is wrong before you. Thank you for revealing this. I will learn to trust you more. God is going to check you on your finances. Whether you have money or whether you don't. I don't care. How you're dealing with it and, how, and where you're putting your hope in these things matters everything to God. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is used up. I know what that feels like. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. Hey, we don't have anything left, Joseph. We got nothing. Look, my pockets, they're empty. He's like, hey, hey, you do have some cattle and some sheep and some goats, don't you? Okay, then I'll take that from you. You do have something left. You thought you didn't have anything left. You know what it takes to become a millionaire or a billionaire? It's how much money you have in the bank, but it's also what you own and what you owe. So when you add all those things up, if you have more than a million dollars of net worth, you're a millionaire. Congratulations. The Lord is always after being the Lord of our net worth. Not just the money in the bank, but also what you owe. What you own. What, all the things that you have. Hey, we want to go on a mission trip, but I just don't have the money. Uh, you got some furniture you could sell. You got a motorcycle st- sitting back over here that you don't ride. You've got stuff. Don't tell me you don't have anything because this is what, this is what they were doing here in the story. I, I, man, I don't have anything. Okay, so we're going to work through the money. Now we're going to work through the possessions, the livestock. Look at verse... Um, 17, so they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and their goats, their cattle and their donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all of their livestock. Verse 18, when that year was over, they came to him the following year. Look what it says. We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies, and our land. They said they had nothing at the beginning. We need food. Well, we'll give you all of the money. Great. Now we really have nothing. What are you going to do? I'm going to take all your cattle. Great. Now they come back the next year, and it says, we cannot hide from you this fact. How many of us go around and we're actually poor of spirit? We're, we're, We're poor in the things of God, but we just try to hide it. These, these people came before him and said, um, we can't hide this. You know we gave you all our money. You already know we gave you all our possessions. The only thing that's left for me to give is me. How are you doing on that progression? Remember the parable of the talents in Matthew 25? The servant who had given, been given one talent, what happened? He buried it. You wicked and lazy servant. I'm going to take from what you do have and I'm going to give it to the ones who've been faithful. Because even those that don't have, what they do have is going to be taken from them and given to the faithful. Look here in verse... 19, why should we perish before your eyes, we in our land as well? Buy us in our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. Do you see the switch here? Did you, did you catch it? Would you look at that last verse there that's on the screen? Give us seed so that we may live. You know what happened when they had money? You know what they bought? Food. I'm going to take my money and I'm going to buy food. Because you know what food does? It feeds me and my family. 
And then when they were done with that, and then they came and they, and they gave all their livestock, you know what they bought? Food for them and their family. You know what happens when they finally gave themselves and say, this is really all that I have. I literally have nothing left. You know what they did? They got seed. What's the difference between seed and food? The time that it takes for the seed to produce, but what happens in that time? You are no longer focused on yourself. You know why? Because you've given it away. You have nothing left. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what I like. It doesn't matter what I prefer. It only matters because now I've got seed and I need to go sow because what I'm going to do is I'm going to produce a harvest that will not only feed my, me and mine, but it may feed you and yours. It changes from a myopic view to an outward view. Maybe it's not just me anymore. Maybe it's about the generations that are to come. Maybe it's not just about me anymore, but about the disciples that we're trying to produce that should far exceed what we're doing. That's what happens when we change from food to seed. Are you still worried about food? Are you still worried about what you need to get? Is that your only thought? Is that your only prayer every day in and out, Lord? Give me this day my daily bread. The end. Thank you very much. God, help us if that's where we are. Lord, I've, <laughs> I think I'm learning how to give you my all. I'm learning how to have nothing left because you know what I've figured out? I don't, I'm not very good at determining that half the time. I've given you my all. Well, can he ask any more from you? Well, yes. Then you haven't given your all yet. Lord, I want to give my all so that you can give me seed. Amen. So I can really live. I've laid now my life now. I don't want to die. Now I could really live, but it took me getting rid of my money, took me re- getting rid of the livestock, and it finally came down to where it's me and what I could produce. This is it. Turn to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 9. Psalm 34, 9. Yare the Lord. Fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I'm going to read verse 9 again. Because I need to hear it again. So just bear with me. Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him lack nothing. I don't know if y'all are just thinking about that. I hope it's hitting you like a ton of bricks because it's just quiet up in this place. So if you're fearful of lacking, you've put your material needs on the throne of your heart. Instead of putting Him on the throne of your heart, you fear Him and you will lack nothing. The Word, the eternal Word of God says so. For some of you, you might need to write this on a little index card and put it in your pocket. And every time you start to be fearful of what's going on around you, you need to pull it out of your pocket, put it right in front of your eyes, and quote it and read it over and over and over again until the Word of God starts becoming the truth that you hear and not the fear that you've put on the throne. 1 Chronicles 21, I'm just going to reference it here. It's when King David is offered the threshing floor from Aruna. And he says to him, I cannot take, I cannot offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Why do we always want to give the Lord something that's either it doesn't cost us anything or it really didn't cost us our all? Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 10. (laughs) 
Starting in verse 10, it says this. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. Wait a minute. What does he supply? Oh, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. You guys understand the principle of the Sabbath, right? One day per week and one year out of every seven years, they were supposed to give the land a rest. Do you, uh, it is the most ridiculous thing in the universe to have the Sabbath principle set up unless a God said to do it. Okay? So just like on the, on the sixth day of a week, when they were getting manna, they would go out and get a double portion. Yes? And then because they weren't supposed to go out and grab any manna on the seventh day. Let's put this in terms of the yearly Sabbath for the land. We give ourselves and the land. So in the sixth year, they were supposed to get enough crop and enough of a harvest in the sixth year because they didn't plant in the seventh year. And then they had to plant and wait till the end of planting season in the eighth year to get any food. If there's not a God involved in this, you know what happens? The entire people die off in seven years. What? He not only provides seed for the sowing, but He provides bread for food. It's not just only a future thing. He's going to take care of what you need now while you're sowing seed, while you're going out and doing exactly what He says. He hasn't forgotten about today. He's already made your provision because those who fear Him lack nothing. Amen. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. What will he increase? Your capacity to hold seed. When you are faithful to sow, you know what he does? He enlarges your capacity. Not like in the New Testament where we're building barns so we can store things. When you are being a sower, what happens? He can enlarge your store for the seed. You know why? Because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sow some more. I've proven faithful in what he's given me. This is not a wealth and prosperity thing. This is a kingdom principle that we understand. This is what it says. Increase your store of seed and will enlarge what? Your harvest of righteousness. He's not going to give you bigger barns to hold your stuff. He's going to increase your harvest of righteousness. Of the righteous acts. That's what I want to be all about. Lord, would you increase the harvest of righteousness in my life? God, would you give me more seed, not so that I can keep it and go, hey, look how much seed I can hold, but that we're sowing it and it's producing righteousness in the people around us. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. Please don't read this. Uh, we all know the verse, so just hold with me, okay? You should be able to look, uh, to, to look at it when I say Luke 9.23, and many of you in the room can start quoting it in your head. I, I get that. Amen. Let's just read this together. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must... Deny himself. Why do we think that we can deny ourselves and still have something left in ourselves? He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. How many sermons have we all heard on this verse? How many sermons have we given? whether it's in prison or, or as a devotion in our own homes, how many times have we used this verse? Whoever wants to save his life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, when you finally say, Lord, I have nothing left, I don't mean it figuratively, I don't mean it as, as hyperbole, I literally, I've got nothing Jesus, when you said that you can't do anything, that you can do nothing unless you see the Father do it, I'm trying to emulate that. Because I know that if I lose my life for you, I save it. 
What good is it a man for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Turn to James chapter 2. Is this resonating within you? What I hope is going on inside of you are examples of ways that you haven't given it all. Of ways that you said, I have nothing left, but you realize that you do have something left. And that's what God's coming after. You haven't yet offered yourselves and your land. By the way, in Genesis, you know what that word for their own bodies is? It means body, but it also means carcass or corpse. That's what the word actually means. It it does mean it is translated correctly as body, but you know one, one of the other versions of that word is when Samson is there and he turns aside to the lion carcass and finds honey there. That's the same word as what they sold themselves as. Lord, I'm going to lose my life for you. I'm going to become a living sacrifice because you don't need me and you don't need my strength. I am dependent upon you. You are not dependent upon me. In James chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says this, Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you have insulted the poor. Is is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of Him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Royal law. Wow. That's the royal law. To love your neighbor as yourself. You thought it was just something you could crochet. This is a royal law by God Almighty. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, why do we show favoritism? Because we want favors. We're insecure in and of ourselves, and so we want to exalt man instead of exalting God. That's why we show favoritism. But if you show favoritism, you sin. Wow. And are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Uh, One thing that I will make a pledge to you as a church, we will not have a special seating section for those who make over a certain amount of money per year. We will not have reserved seating and special meetings that just apply to them. Hey, we're going to tell everybody else. We're just going to tell these guys first. How is that not showing favoritism? Happens all the time, my friends. All the time. You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Um, let's turn to Philippians. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Stay with me, my friends. Second Corinthians chapter 6, and let's start in verse 3. It says this, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles. So this is the list of how they're going to commend themselves. Not by the fleet of jets, or the status and how many places they've gone, or the number of followers on Twitter, or whatever their other reaction might be, this is what they're going to commend themselves on. In great endurance, in troubles, hardship, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots. What happens nowadays? You see a pastor who gets arrested for something, good or bad, gone, done. Our society says, hey, that's the lowest. They're commending the work of the apostles because this is what it took to advance the gospel. They were nothing. There is no reputation. There is nothing to fight for. I just do what the Lord tells me to do. I'm dependent upon Him. In beatings, imprisonment, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. I think that defines our church pretty well right there. Maybe not the hunger part. 
In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness. So how, how, how are you and I stacking up to this list? Whether it's beatings, endurance, hard work, or patience and kindness. In the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in our right hand and in the left. Love that. Through, um, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich. Do you want to be rich or do you want to make many rich? I would rather be poor in the natural and poor in the spirit and make many rich than anything else. Amen. Having nothing and yet possessing everything. What do you want? Do you want everything? Are you going to go after that on your own or are you going to just say, Lord, I give my life to you. I lay it down. I can find nothing in myself. I give it to you. I lose myself in you so that I may be poor and make many rich, so that I may be, have nothing and yet possess everything. It's almost like we're part of a different kingdom. It's almost like the kingdom that we see in every single way is in opposition to the kingdom that God established. It's almost like we need to pray and say, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done here. That's so easy to say and it's so hard to live because it requires us dying to ourselves daily. Philippians chapter 3. Starting in verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. <laughs> if you've ever done accounting, we've got some brilliant minds in here who can do these things well. Mine is not one of them. But to have what I counted in the profit ledger, I'm now counting it as a loss. All the things that I stood up and I thought were important, I have this. I've done this. I have this many degrees. I have this much money. I can do that. All of that, I'd rather count it as loss compared to him. Because if I keep counting it as gain, you know what it is? It's the reserve that I haven't actually given him. When I say I, I have nothing left, I actually have these things that I really like. While cleaning out the garage, I realized I had boxes of books from college. I had boxes of things from multiple, uh, from, from, from working towards my master's degree. I had books. You know why? Because I spent a lot of time working on those things. I had binders full of information. It cost me, it was great expense, and it took a lot out of me, and I was a, I was a principal at a school, and I had a family, and I would get my family in bed, and I would start my projects at 10.30 at night and work until I fell asleep and get up at 5.30 the next morning and go to school and, and do that. It cost me something to get those degrees. You know what I did? I threw all of it away. Yeah. Didn't realize that I was keeping something back because I was like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to go back and teach anymore. I'm done. I'll never be a principal again. I burned the plow. I went, Lord, I didn't realize that I was keeping these things. It was a quick decision before, and I was like, what? I mean, jeez. It, it, it cost me a lot of time. I, I, I have an affinity for this binder. That binder was very difficult. It cost a lot of my effort and a lot of my time and a lot of my thoughts. I, I have, it's my pet binder. <laughs> I read every word in this ginormous three-ring you know, 700 pages. I, I, I did every part of that. Here was my master's thesis that I wrote. <laughs> and it wasn't hard at all. But what I'm saying is I didn't realize that I had kept those things. I had no intention of going back. So you know what I needed to do? I needed to burn the plow. I needed to get rid of it because I'm not going to go. That's, I haven't, it, it hasn't been a split in my heart and I kept the stuff. 
So maybe it was more in my heart than I thought. And so I just literally got rid of all of it. And I was like, huh, well, that was easy. Because, Lord, I don't want to have anything left. I want to have nothing left before you. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider it loss. For the sake of Christ. What is more? Oh, here's something more. I consider everything a loss. Not only what I thought was profit, I consider it all loss. Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. And that is a nice, clean way of saying that. You can go ahead and fill in whatever you'd like right there. Because that is not, uh, the original language there is much more uh, undignified than the word rubbish. But we'll leave it as rubbish for now. That I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. You know what our church talks a lot about? We would talk a lot about being martyrs. What a great honor it would be to be a martyr. You think you're going to be a martyr when you have stuff left now? Really? You're not going to die daily? You just think on the, when, when it really counts, boy, I'll rise to the occasion. I'm going to say, no. You're practicing now what you would do on that day. If you're willing to give it all away, if you're willing to have nothing left and really do what he says now, you might have a chance on that day. If you can't do it now with small things, if you're worried about where you live, what you drive, how much money's in the bank, really? You should have nothing left. I should have nothing left. Let's finish in Revelation chapter 7. We've looked at this concept through the law, the prophets, the writings, both older and newer testaments. Revelation chapter 7. And I want you to see the end of the story here. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude. Everybody say, great multitude. That no one could count. Wow. I was reading another passage in, in Revelation uh, earlier, and I, and I shared it with, I think, with Peyton and maybe Adam. There was a song that no one could learn except the 144,000. And I went, no one could learn the song? I'm a music nerd. I'm like, really? What? what how? Why? What? Great. No one can learn it except the 144. In this case, no one can count. From every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elder, and, and the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Yeah, they did. Saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? (laughs) The elder clearly knows. It's not like he's confused like, Hey, what's going on? He knows and he's trying to get John to understand something. So he asked the question that is leading John. Don't be afraid of the questions that you have in your life. Sometimes those things will lead you to the right place if you allow God to be at work in them. I answered, sir, you know. Why don't you go ahead and tell me? And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. I thought we were all going to be... Okay, never mind. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tent over them. It's talking about dwelling with them, abiding with them. This is the word that's really there. It's, it's a dwelling of abiding. He's going to abide with them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. If you want to gain your life now, you miss this. If you want to keep something in reserve, you know what you do? You have the potential of missing this. If you want to be your own shepherd, God help you. Because the lamb at the center of the throne will be your shepherd. Do you want to try to take care of it now? And keep things in reserve. Are you willing to stand before the Lord and say, I want to have nothing left. Here is my carcass of a body. Because your word tells me, your word tells me that those who fear you will like nothing. Would you stand to your feet with me?